following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. Good morning, it's Zena Richardson here on Behind the Lines, 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, and I am going to have my co-host here, Scotty, talk to us about a new farming initiative. It's called the Coffee Co-op or Farm Art Co-op, and we're going to be talking about some wonderful ideas about cooperative farming and some changes that uh, we can make at a grassroots level. So good morning, Scotty. Good morning, how are you? Good, thank you. Excellent. So um, you got me fascinated here. Coffee. I mean, not coffee is in the drink, but <laughs> coffee is an acronym no. here. You want to tell us a little <laughs> bit is, about the coffee community? So there's, there's a lot of elements to this. So we were struggling to find a working name that was at least descriptive of what we're up to, and we came up with coffee. Uh, so it's the Community-Owned Farming Enterprise Co-op, and we'll explain what an enterprise co-op is as we get into it. Um, but it's community-owned, it's farming, and it's an enterprise cooperative. So it's um, it's all of those things, and coffee sounds good. So that'll do for now. <laughs> good one to remember. I think I'll remember that quite easily. Yes. I'm a coffee drinker, so that's... that's right, you know, and we would like to run a competition today as well. If anybody can come up with a better name for this after the after the interview, then... Uh, Please let us know at cocambra.org.au. If folks wanted to leave their suggestions on our Two Double X Behind the Lines Facebook page, could they do that as well? They absolutely could. That'd be fantastic. Okay, maybe yep. we can get a discussion going on that page about yeah, that. Yeah, yep. Okay, so and you'll win the prestige of having named a co-op. <laughs> yeah, no, that it might become a very famous co-op it, some well, years from now. So. If we have our way, it certainly will be. Yeah, so that'll be a, a wonderful thing to have in your belt. Um, <laughs> so, what are the main components of the coffee co-op design? You know, what does that um, actually comprise of? I was, from my understanding, it's it's relating to the enterprise of food, um, which is sort of like a production processing distribution and consumption and support yeah yeah so the main components i mean it's come out of a whole bunch of um a whole bunch of work we've done over the last few years sort of in fits and starts asking people in the regenerative farming community that exists and people who are you know into the land repair and all sorts of stuff what a food system what the best food system they can imagine would include and and they've come up with i think it's uh, seven or eight things here so food justice is one and this is not in any particular order uh the, the idea of food justice is to provide universal access to good food for people so there's no one in society who's left out because they don't have the money or for any other reason they're stuck in their house by themselves or something because they're not able to walk um they're old any of those reasons they can still have access to good food so that's one uh, to provide a stable secure and attractive living for farmers is another because farming these days it's uh, it's tough stuff i mean you'll remember when economic rationalism came in and for the younger listeners that was a time when government and media was all about get big or get out and farming's a business you guys are bludging off the rest of us with your subsidies and there was all this rubbish going on and of course the poor old farmers up to their ears in debt and the massive financial pressures to um to push harder on the land which they, they sort of have to do in that system um and then that was the the farming product was being um, sold at such a low price as well that they were well, actually losing yeah, money. Well, yeah, dollar a litre milk and yeah. stuff, it's impossible, really. If you're not getting a fair price for what you produce, mm. it's impossible to make a living, yeah. um, particularly when you've got debts and stuff to pay off, no matter what the season's mm. like. Um, so no incentive for a multi-generational farming family to continue? Oh... Uh, you know, at that, at that. just depends whether or not the the kids from that family <laughs> fall and fall in love with the land enough to yeah. to take on yeah. all that pressure and but hopefully giving them something that was more workable now through this model well that's right I mean this takes the risk out of out of farming itself and shares it amongst the community um, but yeah I mean that that's pretty unattractive <laughs> to have all those debts and and the price of land is just astronomical. Um, farmers just want to do the farming, you know, mm -hmm. and if they've got 
a lot more time to think about what they're doing, to walk around, observe stuff and and research different ways of doing what they're doing, they're going to be better farmers and they're going to be happier. Um, it's absolutely... Yeah. So you mentioned it was going to be a regenerative farming project. So for people that aren't mm-hmm. familiar with regenerative farming as opposed to sort of the traditional arable land farming model, um, what what is the difference with that? Like what does regenerative farming predominantly look like? Right, so it's all farming is all based on soil. Um, soil's the root of it all, especially for a beginner to start understanding <laughs> it. Soil is where it all goes on. So it's not soil isn't just the stuff that a plant sticks its roots into. Soil is actually a living organism. Um, there's billions. There's an astronomical amount of little living organisms in even like a teaspoon of soil. It's just ridiculous. Like, how do you fit that much anything in that small little thing? <laughs> so they must be quite small, but they are absolutely, um, absolutely key to the health of a plant. And the, the health of a plant is then absolutely key to the health of an animal. So whether we're eating that animal or we're eating that plant, their health is absolutely key to our health as well. So, and also taste, uh, variety, diversity. Um, yeah. So regenerative farming is farming which builds on nature. If you go out and you look at a, a natural ecosystem that's been sitting there, even especially if it's undisturbed for many, many, well. 3.8 billion years, I think, is the <laughs> the history of evolution. Um, but it's it's really diverse. Everywhere you look, there's something else there, and it's evolved in place to take advantage of whatever special conditions are in that particular little spot. You know, so if you go to the south side of a hill, there'll be a different species of tree growing to the west side of the hill. Um, and understory the same everything because you know around here the the fire sector is in on the northwest and that's where you have to have fire hardy plants otherwise well you don't have them anymore <laughs> yeah and as any gardener will tell you you can put two things of the same type in your garden and then one will thrive and one won't probably for some very small reason of something in the soil that's right yep yeah. often yeah and that depends on which parent rock that plant grew up with so if it grew up in limestone or sandstone or shale they may have very different requirements and i guess the the, uh, the proteus proteaceous plants like the banksias and stuff are well known they've given all australian plants this um this reputation for not liking fertilizer but it's actually only a small amount of plants so yeah that's right and you know if you go down to uh well i don't know how you'll go now um but you used to be able to go to the escarpment between here and the south coast mm-hmm. and anywhere along there. If you looked on the south side of a hill, you'd find um, rainforest. Mm-hmm. Amazing stuff, the uh, the Pinkwoods. Uh, really unique ecosystem. So there's something, I mean, we had Walter Yenner... Um a while back on the show and he talked about the soil carbon sponge mm-hmm. which was a big part of regenerative farming so it was either protecting preserving or restoring the soil carbon sponge um, in order to get the land to thrive absolutely yeah so uh, apart from being this host of amazing diversity and mm-hmm. nutrient because it's actually the fungus mm-hmm. in the soil which is mm-hmm. breaking down the parent rock and making all those minerals available to the plants it's also a massive once you get the carbon out of the air so the way plants in particular and, and some animals work is that they the, the, uh, the process of photosynthesis actually extracts the carbon out of the air and lodges it into um, into the soil as carbon um, and it does that by putting it into the body of the plant first and then when it rots it stays there as different forms and just uh, just hangs around really in all the different life forms so once you expose that soil to air that carbon starts to oxidise out of the life forms and out of the humus in the soil and go back into the air. Uh, and I guess you could call that degenerative farming. It's, it's not a very uh, complementary name. So that would come about, say, by clearing the land excessively, clearing the land, by running um, stock on bare. there that are hooves, that hooved animals running on there, compacting the soil. Well, hooved animals. If you leave your animals whether they're hooved or not, Mm. in a set area all the time, that is when your plants break down. 
all over the world plants have evolved to have herd animals essentially moving through the landscape just absolutely smashing it for a day or two and then buggering off for the rest of the time so the holistic farming movement has essentially mimicked that that um that process that biological process that's, that normally occurs of, of big herds moving through so they have very concentrated cattle or sheep or whatever they have but they move them every day onto a new patch and then the plant gets to do its growing for the rest of the time and it works phenomenally the soil builds beautifully under that and there's, there's tons so Look you've up. also got the lovely manure helping to yeah um, that's right. put nutrients back in the soil fertilizers yeah yeah so that's that's an interesting uh, thing so the hooved animals not necessarily it depends how you use them right yeah now, there, there is a i heard a, a cattle a large cattle farmer that um did do some regenerative farming um transitioning and he now has his stock moving through a forested area here so he didn't clear a lot of his land he's actually got a forest area still on his land and he's been having his stock grazing through there rather than in mm -hmm. cleared land and he's finding that quite successful too so so with the coffee initiative this idea of um you know purchasing land collectively and, and creating this um, co-op initiative farming is there a particular type of um, farming that you're interested in or is it really up to the people that are interested in becoming involved is it going to be you're going to have crops we're going to have livestock what sort of things were you thinking of well as long as you're building that soil mm -hmm. and you're not degrading the land or anything else then we're pretty open to whatever you do mm -hmm. um, it is very much up to the individual enterprise. Now, the idea is that if you've got a, if you would like to farm, you can come to us and say, "Look, I'd really like to farm." And once we get up and running, we'll be able to say, "Oh, great, nice one. Pleased to meet you." There's this bit of land over here. It's got, it might have, twelve, fifteen people on it already doing various enterprises. Uh, what would you like to do? And, oh, I'd like to do chickens. Right, okay, well, they're not suitable. We'll go over here because there's already chickens on that place. We'll go over here. You can talk to the people here and see how your chickens are going to fit in with what's already happening on that. Mm. So one of the things with farming, as it's, it's a result of the ownership structure mainly, mm. um, is that, say, you get a couple who moves onto a farm, which is a fairly, mm. fairly normal model, um, they only have one or two lives to devote to farming so they've only got a certain amount of energy certain amount of brain space and they're going to run out essentially of energy and time and everything else to really like even if they wanted to if they were amazing permaculture designers who wanted to stack ground covers and underground things and then the shrub layer and then mid canopy and trees and put animals all through it and just have this amazing productive system and so many different levels they'd run out of time and essentially it's very difficult to actually do that as a really productive farming sort of thing um, so we want to enable that to happen in on each of our sites that we're going to wind up with and you just do that by letting people do different things but coordinating them to a central plan for that particular mm -hmm. site so and the people who are there are going to come up with and maintain and adapt that plan as they go along yes essentially you're, you're building community to create this this is all about also creating a, like a the farming cooperative community absolutely as well. yeah. so instead of you know isolating small groups of individual farmers or farming couples or farming families mm -hmm. um, we're going back to perhaps how we started farming thousands of years ago which was as a community you know we, we had you know a whole village contributing to the the farm or the land itself um, making it more feasible to mm -hmm. maybe follow mm -hmm. some ideas think, or enterprises is, is, think, am I going off track here oh. I guess in the community sense, mm -hmm. yes, but in the physical mm -hmm. sense, it'll be very different. Mm -hmm. If you imagine when uh, the first Euros came here in, in 1788, not a fence to be seen. And, yeah, it's like the biggest mm -hmm. estate on earth, as Bill Gamage has mm -hmm. called it, and it was a vastly different method mm -hmm. of, of land management then. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just because of the size of the paddock, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. So we will be necessarily restricted within <laughs> our fence line yeah. boundaries uh, and 
Yeah, yeah, we'll but just the idea have to is deal to with create, that. Yeah, you're, you're creating this um, sort of uh, symbiotic relationship between the different things that people are going to be using the land for. So you said, like, the chickens will work with this sector, but maybe not that sector, and then certain yeah, crops might yeah. be better so we're mimicking, in certain areas. Yeah, so mimicking natural systems yeah. very much, and uh, a lot of the permaculture stuff is basically observing natural systems mm -hmm. and then using the patterns that you find in nature to... Uh, to essentially turbo boost what you're doing by by piggybacking on what's happening anyway. Yeah. Is this similar to the concept of biodynamic farming? Uh, biodynamics is a lot to do with the microbes in the soil mm -hmm. and building the soil that way in particular. Um, don't know much about mm -hmm. biodynamics. It does appear to work very well. Mm -hmm. You go to a biodynamic farm, the soil is mm -hmm. usually absolutely thriving. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that comes out of Rudolf Steiner, like mm -hmm. like many things do. Um, so it's got its spiritual side to it, oh, and, okay. and okay. that can turn a lot of people off. But it does mm -hmm. seem to work. So but just the practices rather than the, <laughs> rather than the philosophy. Yeah, the yeah, philosophy. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, so with this idea of the land, I'm, from what I understand, it's not just going to be about land. It might be about other areas too, which are involved in the production side of things or maybe processing um, crops that have been harvested. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... It, uh, well, let me, let me run through a bunch of stuff here. So we're using the cooperative model. We're going to use a multi-stakeholder variety of the cooperative model. We're going to use community-supported agriculture. We're going to use a... a a type of community-supported agriculture from the Cote Jardins, or Cote, oh, I'm sorry, anybody who uh, knows how to say French things properly, Cote Jardins Community Farming, they've got a volunteer system for one of their community-supported okay, the, agriculture the places one, yeah. over in France, mm -hmm. um, and we're going to rip that off because uh, it's great. Um, we're going to use enterprise stacking, which is where we'll go next year. Internal capital accounts are part of the funding and internal accounting model. Uh, holacracy is an organisational method um, which is very distributed and autonomous. Um, it's uh, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll go through all of these. We're going to use a community investment model from the pre-power co-op for funding and we're going to try, if we possibly can, to set up regenerative culture and community contributions. Now, in the same way as regenerative culture builds the soil so that everything else can, can get that. Regenerative culture is rebuilding our culture so that it will it will build on on the happiness of people and meeting our needs. Um, so thrivability. It's, thrivability, yeah. yeah, prosperity, um, and not necessarily through money. Yeah, so um, where were we on that? Enterprise stacking. So they, they're the main components, and... Yeah, each one of those is, takes a bit of explaining, unfortunately. <laughs> but we're talking enterprise stacking. So it's essentially been pioneered by a bloke in the United States called Joel Salatin, um, who's got some really good videos out on YouTube to, um, to explain it very well, much better than I will be able to in my minute or two here. Um, if you go onto YouTube and look up stacking fiefdoms or successional success fields of farmers, both of those talks, they'll take about an hour each, but they're, um, they're very informative about how the philosophy and the, and the practice of, of this method works. Uh, we're not going to be ripping his stuff off exactly. We'll be adapting it for our own system, um, but you'll get the idea of it there, definitely. So enterprise stacking, you imagine that, that family again who's got the land, they'd really like to see it thriving, but unfortunately to buy the land they had to go into debt, so now they owe the bank a bunch of money and they have to go into town to work to pay the bank back to get the land, so they don't have any time to do farming anymore, um, which is a really nasty catch-22 for someone who moved on to the land to do farming. <laughs> so we, we, we know people like this, and they've offered their land up for lease to the co-op to start with. We've got uh, some people in that situation, and we've got other people who are uh, organic farmers already, and they're getting closer to retirement, and they would like some sort of income in their retirement to, to help tide them through. Um, so what enterprise stacking does is it allows a whole lot of different people to do different things, coordinate them all together. 
but it also broadens the scope of what you can do. So that enterprise, one of the key enterprises we're actually going to start with, uh, a bit surprising, but they're accounting and business systems. <laughs> so these will be people who are, are good at that in the farming sector. And, you know, it's not going to be their full-time job to start with, but they'll be available for us. But they'll, they'll give you that sort of setup structure. Yeah, it'll just be a yeah. side job for yeah, them yeah. until we start getting, once you start getting, I don't know, 50 farmers or something in the system around the region, then then it might be a full-time job mm -hmm. for, for someone, um, at which point that's fantastic. That's sort of what we're aiming at. Mm -hmm. And they'll be just watching over, and this has all come out of the uh, the Mondragon cooperative system mm -hmm. in Spain, which is the most successful worker-owned, well, it's a multi-stakeholder co-op mm -hmm. system in, in the world. Um, definitely worth looking up in themselves. And I might have to get you to explain to me how the multi-stakeholder cooperative works to yeah, you. I'll, I'll, I won't okay. rush you we'll, ahead there. No, we'll go there next. That's yeah. good. Um, so, so the different enterprises are all, all within the co-op. The enterprises are members of the co-op, as are the individuals. And, yeah, so they will essentially pay a little bit to the other enterprises. So we'll prioritise using the other enterprises within the cooperative to do anything that that enterprise needs so the accounting will go to our accountant we'll get a better price um, they'll get steady work we'll get to know each other and all of this um, but that means that the, the people trying to run the farming enterprise can give a portion you know whatever one two three percent of their income to the accountant guy he'll know farming he'll know our system and we'll also be able to raise the alarm if oh look you're actually about to go broke, mate. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Oh, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I don't do books very well. And, you know, a lot of people who are doing physical work aren't interested in the books mm -hmm. that much. And, and it's very handy to have a professional eye looking over it. And this is the bit that comes out of the Mondragon system. Mm -hmm. So what they do in Mondragon, if if the, the people who are... It's a wing of their credit union that they've started there. They've helped start up a co-op or an enterprise and they notice it's going going into trouble they'll alert them of that they'll uh if they can discern what's going wrong they'll be able to suggest so a few training courses yeah. for that they'll support them through they'll they'll put them in touch with other mm -hmm. people within the co-op who are doing similar things how are you doing it how are you handling this mm -hmm. so there's a whole mentoring and support network there now mondragon doesn't let them go the Mondragon Enterprises, there's, oh, I don't know, it's at least a 100 different enterprises in that, uh, possibly many more. My brain's just flaked on me there. But um, they've got something like a 1% failure rate because of this support system. And they've even had cases where the co-op's just been in the wrong business. Mm -hmm. And they've gone to the people, right, what else would you like to do? <laughs> so the same people have actually just so they're almost shut, like shut shop in that analysts, thing. Business analysts, right? Very much yeah. business analysts, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that's one of the real support enterprises. Mm. So also, well, what's to do with food? You've got mm -hmm. growing the food, which is one thing, but then you've got, uh, you've got sales, you've got transport and logistics, mm -hmm. you've got... Um, or storage, storage, refrigeration. refrigeration yeah. You've got uh, processing, mm -hmm. so all of your cooking and tinning and canning, all of that stuff. And then I imagine for something it might be packaging, branding. Yeah, you know. that sort of thing. Restaurants too, mm -hmm. shops, you name it. Cafe, pub. Mm -hmm. We're happy to have anything as an enterprise as long as it prioritises the mm -hmm. the stuff from the co-op first. Mm -hmm. um, so you're talking about maybe supplying. Um, uh, like food industry, like supplying restaurants, cafes, is that what you're thinking? With the so there's, there's the sort of a priority system. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have customers own the co-op as well mm -hmm. as farmers. Mm -hmm. So that's what your multi-stakeholder mm -hmm. co-op is. It's um, It has all of the people who are directly involved in the co-op as owners of mm -hmm. the business. So customers will be involved through a thing called community-supported agriculture, mm -hmm which traditionally is you've got your, your farmer who owns the land and they're doing their enterprise. It's often veggie farming, but it might be, um, might be animals or what have you, or a combination. Um, and with the community-supported agriculture, it's like a subscription scheme. So the farmer says to a whole bunch of customers they've already got relationships with, righty-o, do you want to subscribe to next season? So 
So you're guaranteed your box of vegetables or your well weekly farm When it started, no, you're guaranteed that that farmer's going to do their level best okay. to give you the box with as much as they can <laughs> pack in there to the sort of money amount that you've, you've nominated. So you might have a $25, $30, $50 box or whatever. Um, but if, you know, the locust plague comes <laughs> or if the, the hailstorm comes over or something and the fire burns them out, they're not going to have as much. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the contract. You're supporting the farmer. Because if you don't support the farmer and, and they have a bad season and they go out of business, then you've lost your source of good, healthy food and you have to muck around trying to find another one. And there's often waiting lists because the, uh, yeah, the, the small local food producer is, is usually pretty much booked out, uh, especially around here. Uh, so it's a way of supporting farmers and keeping them in. Now, the model that we're going to use is from the, the Cote Jardins mob over in France and they've added in a little extra bit where one of their requirements for membership is that you volunteer I think they have it at four Sundays a year and yeah they use uh, essentially crash mobs of, um, of volunteers so they have enough people they have I think 100 or 150 people and they've got four Sundays a year which gives them uh, gives them quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of volunteers on a regular basis. So, so these volunteers have sort of bought into... They're the customers, right? Are they? They're the customers, yeah. but part of their membership agreement is that they'll volunteer four times a year, yeah. and that gives the farmer basically eight people every weekend for half a day or a day to do a whole bunch of work, <laughs> and they, they plan their production systems around this. Right, so um, it sounds like that because there's often really big jobs on farms that can be too big for just the farmer and the farmer's family, so um, they might be things that you'd normally have to bring in a contractor to do or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right, yeah, and the contractor usually is going to have a big tractor and you'll have to design all your systems around the tractor for that to work, um, you know. And, and it's fossil fuel dependent because of that. So instead of using that fossil fuel, we're using human energy instead, and it's community energy. Because the second half of that day where they come in and volunteer is a party, <laughs> which is great, you know? Well, yeah, I like that. But again, getting back to community, right? You've created this, this fabulous community of people it with the same It has to come vision. back to community, yep. In yeah. the history of co-ops, those co-ops have lost their community, yeah. wind up as essentially just another financial organisation and they're treated as such by their members and when somebody, some big businessman comes along and says oh, you know, if you guys changed your business structure into a company and decided to sell it to me for a whole lot of money you'd make a real tidy sum out of this and that's happened many, many times and lots of our, uh, lots of our big institutions have, have disappeared and been privatised that way um, well, and, by and then you lose the benefits yeah. from the co-op. Yeah. By having people volunteer, you get them emotionally invested too in the, yeah, in, in the right. journey. And, so and one of the yeah. other things that we're trying to do is connect people with the sources of their food. That came up really strongly in the, uh, in the work that we've done trying to figure out what people actually want out of their system and what better way to connect with your food than go and stick your hands in the dirt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not able to do that, you've got a crook back or something, then there's plenty of other stuff behind the scenes that you can do. You can... Um, yeah, all sorts of things. So how would you um, fund some of these things? So you're talking about maybe funding it through the pre-power model you were describing? Yeah, that? so that's sort of for larger funding for <laughs> land acquisitions and that sort of thing. Um, the pre-power model, uh, it's designed for renewable energy. So it's a smaller amount of money, but it's a productive asset. So the pre-power funding model will work for anything which is buying productive assets, which are assets which actually produce something. So solar panels are a classic example. You buy them, put them in, and they produce energy. So in the pre-power... The energy becomes the commodity, right? Well, the energy is how you fund the initial purchase. So you're prepaying for your energy. Um, so in the pre-power model... When you become a member, you're able to ask for panels to be put on your roof by the co-op, and the co-op will retain ownership and maintenance and everything of so those. So it doesn't cost you to have the panels installed? That's right, yeah. But you will pay a regular bill for the power that comes out of the panels that mm -hmm. you use. So uh, it'll be a, a much reduced 
uh, bill, like it'll be 30% off whatever the, the standard grid price is. And that's the idea here. So through paying your food box off, you will be funding the um, the acquisition of land, and that's how you'll pay it off. So when people... Ah, sorry, I missed a key component there. So when people who have the panels on their roofs are paying that bill, a certain percentage of that bill goes back to the members who've put in the money as as upfront to buy and install the equipment. So this would be the same. We'd open it up to first our members and then maybe the broader community, say, so come and become a member, then you'll be, have this available to you. So you can then put your money in and we'll, we'll do it for a set fee, essentially. Um, so you'll get a, a fee of X amount for investing your money in us. Um, and then over time, people will pay you off just by buying their food box. Mm -hmm. So a small portion of that, enough to cover the cost, will go to paying off that fee over time. And it avoids things like um, in traditional companies, an investor is a perpetual owner. So that investor will will expect to have a portion of the profits every year in perpetuity. In this case, it's just a fee if... You know, it's not it's not investing. It's something different. We had, we don't know what to call it yet, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, once that fee has been paid off, they are no longer part of that picture. So the contract's been fulfilled, and that's over. And the ownership is again with the members. Okay. Yeah. And to to initially fund the purchase of the land, you talk about maybe leasing land as well. Um, so how how would you? Um generate the capital to be able to st like literally start the enterprise getting the land to um, to be available would that be through like you said somebody who's got land that's not being used that just wants to see it used and maybe might be willing to come to some sort of arrangement or yeah so we've already got two landholders and many more inquiries um, from people who are in that sort of situation they'd, they'd really like to see their land used properly um, but aren't able to do it themselves for some reason or mm. or aren't able to do it for all of their land. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure that actually finding places is going to be too difficult. Mm -hmm. We'll be able to pick and choose a mm -hmm. bit, um, which will be nice. But now, is this within, how we'll within do it the is ACT? You're hoping to do this within ACT? In the region. Yeah. We're not too concerned about uh, government borders. Mm -hmm. We're more concerned with natural sort of physical borders, sort mm -hmm. of bioregionalism. Mm -hmm. And if we start co-ops and things up, then the natural region is the obvious place and a water catchment sounds feasible, mm -hmm. so that'd probably take us out to mm -hmm. Captain's Flat. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, even out to Yass, perhaps. Okay. Um, yeah, and so do, just do the, the region. Um, the fact that you're crossing a border, does it change some of the regulations you have to work with? Or? Not as much anymore. It okay. used to be a big thing. Now uh, there's national cooperatives legislation, which both the ACT and New South Wales have signed up to. So the the business regulations are very similar in, in both of those states. I don't think Queensland signed up to it yet. Possibly Tasmania hasn't, but... Mm -hmm. um, Everywhere else is pretty much on board, mm -hmm. so that's useful, uh, very useful for us. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, we'll be leasing to start with. Okay. Um, and you mentioned that and that um, saves that upfront cost yeah. and gives us time to get all of those things sorted out and <laughs> work out. I mean, there are many ways you could do it. You could just put it into a savings fund. Mm -hmm. You could take that same mm -hmm. amount off of each weekly box mm -hmm. that the customers mm -hmm. are buying. And, you know, if your enterprises are, are producing enough that you've filled up as much as the uh, the co-op can use, mm -hmm. then they can just sell their stuff on the open market as well. And profits from that would also have, you know, a small amount, 1% or something, mm -hmm. skimmed off and just put into that general fund, which will slowly build, and eventually you'll have a budget to buy land with mm -hmm. and you won't need to uh, ask anyone else mm -hmm. to do it. And I, I understand that the... Um, intention was to make sure that the land that you're leasing, should it come up for sale, that the cooperative would have first dibs to purchase that land to That's make sure right. that your yeah. work hasn't gone yep. to waste. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, you can imagine. Now, the Salatins over in the States uh, take care of this problem by essentially mm -hmm. 
mobile infrastructure. So if you're doing chickens on some leased land, you have mobile chook sheds, and you're using that uh, that technique of moving them around a lot in any case. So you need to have mobile stuff, but they would use electric fences rather than physical fences. And anything they would put in, they would make sure that it would fit on a float and be able to be trucked to the next place if you finish your, your lease for any reason. Um, but if you've got things in the land and growing in the land and um, you yeah, know, things yeah. that are maybe not finishing their growth cycle and you're not going to pull them out halfway through... And the, your biggest asset is your soil, yeah. and you're not going to be able to take that with you. Mm -hmm. So while that is clever and worthwhile, and I, I'm sure we would replicate mm -hmm. that, we also have... Uh, it's quite an old real estate clause, I think, uh, and it's called the first right of refusal. Mm. And essentially it means that if the um, if the owner of the land, the landholder, decides they want to sell it for any, for any reason, doesn't matter why, they have to offer it to the cooperative first at a reasonable markety sort of price, and we get the right to either accept or refuse that offer before it goes on the open market. Mm -hmm. So that provides us with an opportunity to purchase the land if it is up for sale and that gives us a lot more confidence to put in infrastructure and all sorts of stuff that um, that might be a bit more permanent mm -hmm. yeah and I just thought came to me that there's the Canberra City Farm which is on Dairy Road mm -hmm. area in Fishwick is is that a completely different model to what we're talking about here I'm not I'm not too familiar with how they set up their structure and I'm wondering if there's something um, similar happening already in ACT Look, there's a few things that have similar components to them, yeah, like Canberra City Farm, one of their ideas is to start new enterprises, but they're not within the co-op, they don't have as they're much, not a I think, of, no, no, that's right, they're a not-for-profit, um, um, yeah, they, they are, again, they run on volunteers, but what we would be doing is, is fitting in with them. So once we get a group of volunteers together to actually get this thing off the ground, we'll be going and talking to Canberra City Farm, to Southern Harvest, to the Environment Centre, to all of the other places and, and businesses around that are already existing and saying, how can we help you with our design? If you were to become a member, it'll be very cheap. What would you want from us? And we can work in with that and design our practices so that Whatever we do is, is is helping them, and Southern Harvest would be a, a prime example of that. They've already got it's a food box scheme um, from multiple farmers, so it's very similar to the community supported agriculture thing that we're looking at, in that it's a, a regular subscription thing by season, and a regular set box amount. But instead of one farmer, there's multiple farmers who are putting into that, and they coordinate and and pack the boxes and deliver them. Um, and that's going really successfully. I think they've had to, <laughs> once since the COVID thing, they've had to close their waiting list because oh my goodness, yeah. it's got absolutely overwhelmed. But isn't that um, isn't the situation we're going through now showing us how desperately we need these ventures? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. You look at the shelves, all the seedlings are gone, all the seeds yeah. are gone, all the yeah. potting mix is gone. <laughs> People are loving it, you know. If you, if you are given the time to do what you choose to do, you don't go and work. Work isn't necessarily that exciting a place to be you do it because you're in debt mm -hmm. or you have other uses to meet your needs mm -hmm. through money mm -hmm. and the only way you can get the money is by working mm -hmm. so we're trapped in this cycle and it's worth remembering that money is one of humanity's imaginative resources mm -hmm. uh, if you actually took that little bit of plastic and tried to do anything useful with it there's very little you can actually achieve with one of those $100 notes. Um, it's only its value that we've agreed upon through our collective imagination that makes it worth anything. Mm -hmm. So money is imaginary. Yes, yeah, so it's like a promissory note. It's like we promise to give you yeah, X, it's X value promise, on the note. It's trust. Yeah. It's a way of exchanging value mm -hmm. and, and delaying that value over time as well. Um, but it's all imaginary. And we can just provide our needs... Mm -hmm. In other ways, like how does a cow provide its needs? Well, I guess we, we it get eats back the to, grass which is yeah. growing there, you know? We get back to the barter system, right? We get back well, to barter, it's more reciprocity. Yeah. Um, I don't think they've actually, the anthropologists have actually found anywhere in the world throughout history that, that's 
been using a functional barter system. Well, that's interesting. It <laughs> yeah. always gets corrupted in the end. Yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, yeah. that's what the economists have based all their assumptions on. Yeah. That's how money evolved. But <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, I think that the good part of this is like people's intentions as they come through the the restrictions that COVID has placed on you know not going to work, not being able to socialise, and they've turned to um, sort of more fundamental practices, and they're finding a lot of joy in that. And I imagine that through this time, that forced time off people have had, where they're now going to be looking at, um, you know, maybe spending more time investing in gardening, spending more time investing in, um, you know, well-being and, and, you know, looking at how they can enrich their lives. This is um, a great idea for people who maybe want to take it to the next level. Well it is and, and around the world schemes that are similar to this have provided other benefits to their members like you might build a, a bunch of cabins um, you know subject to council approval and all of that and your members can come and have a holiday on the farm go and swim in the dam you know you might do up a dam as a beautiful swimming pond sort of thing and you know or the creek might be a really lovely playground and you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Your imagination is the limit with these things. Mm -hmm. Because once you're a landholder, you're you're a member. So mm -hmm. being a member means you're also an owner of mm -hmm. that land. So it's really up to people as a whole to agree what the use of that land is. And of course, and how, the council how would has come, its say. But yeah. how would you, if you sort of work the model to come to agreements? You've got lots of different people with great intentions, but lots of different opinions on how things should go. Like how how would you? work that so that it's um, you know going to have right. low conflict. <laughs> Holacracy in yeah. five minutes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> We're just getting to that one. I was, Good luck I was trying to, to frame me. it a little bit better. Yep. <laughs> um, so the system of governance we've decided is likely to be best and you know if nobody wants to do it then we'll have to figure something else out but is, is Holacracy. Um, this has come out of it's evolved out of a system called sociocracy, which again was came out of Holland probably 40, 50 years ago, I think. Uh, some mad engineer in Holland decided he didn't like how it was all being run, so he transformed his own business into this much more decentralised, autonomous um, way of, of, of essentially democratised the business. Um, and this has evolved over the last 40, 50 years through into a, a thing called holacracy. Um, now, it's really highly structured. Um, it's, it's not chaotic in the least. Um, and it deals with, deals with things through a structure called a circle. So if what you do, if your role in your work mm -hmm. is related to, I don't know, let's take the community radio station, mm -hmm. If you're part of the music or choosing the music or listening to the music to decide what's good to put on or you're putting the music into the computer to play or you're anything to do with the music, you'd be in the music circle and that would have its own list of what it needs to do and stuff. And, but the people in the music circle control it. So they have the say over what, what goes on there. It's autonomous unless it affects some other part of the station. Now, it's a huge thing. We do have a, a, an hour and a half long interview with Stefan Jenner on the, um, on the SoundCloud website. So look up Holacracy on, on SoundCloud and you should find that, um, which will go right through so it. So we're doing the Holacracy for dummies in five minutes, right? <laughs> this is the, yeah, like that's right. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I'm not doing very well with it either. <laughs> well, but, it, is, it is a big concept to grasp and you know, it might be great to go and listen to that interview. Yeah, I'd definitely recommend that. I mean, we've got a little pack of, of things that you can go and listen to uh, or watch uh, for each of these <laughs> main components. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Holacracy is an amazing, amazing uh, way of doing it, and it's it's more suited to uh, a large, complex sort of uh, situation. It's, it's so well is, is it well adapted to business. It's, and it's sort got of compartmentalising, but also still operating as a whole. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so each each circle that has any sort of relationship with another circle has a dedicated member of that circle, which attends all of the other circles' meetings. It's called a double link. Okay, so this is like the ultimate Venn diagram, right? You know, oh, where the two, two circles intersect. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the software they've got is called Glassfrog, and okay. you can look up Glassfrog on the web and have a look at it. And uh, the outfit that's promoting Holacracy, Holacracy One, actually has their functional business diagram open to the public. So you can go and look at exactly how this thing works. 
which is pretty unique, I think, as <laughs> transparency for you. But it gives you a great idea of how it all works. And that's really the best way to go and look at this diagram. And you can click on the circle and it's got a whole lot of rolls in there. And each roll, if it's a big enough roll, has a circle of its own to look after mm -hmm. that. And it's all self-managing. Um, it's very clear. If there's, It runs on a thing called tensions. Um, so if you've got... Essentially, if, you've, if you think that the way things are working aren't as good as they could be for any reason, that's a tension. You bring it to the next meeting and and it gets dealt with. That's problem solving. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, But, you know, in the traditional way of doing things, if you take it to your boss and you go, oh, look, I reckon this could be better, the boss is likely to go, yeah, whatever. But yeah, yeah, I love, I love this idea because yeah, everybody's yeah. got the um, sort of the same level of investment in, in, in coming to a solution. Very much, yeah, and it's a great community builder. There's there's tons of tons of good things. So yeah, check out the Holacracy interview and visit the Glass Frog website and try and look into the Holacracy one example. Um, very structured, very functional, um, and yeah, very democratic. So if um, somebody wanted to. You get involved. You've got them all inspired and excited, and they want to come and do something with you guys. Mm -hmm. um, what's the next step for them? Where do they go? How do they find out? Well, how they to should, um, yeah, just just drop me an email at info at cocambra.org.au. Is definitely the best way to do it, and we are, yeah, yeah, we're actively looking for people to to uh, to jump in and, and help actually get it off the ground now. It's because you've, you've got some land lined up, it sounds like. So yeah, we have yeah. Two, two lots of land lined up. Um, customers aren't going to be an issue. If you want to farm in particular, <laughs> we'd encourage you to get in touch and, you know, down the track. We'd definitely need some farmers. <laughs> it's never going to work a, a without a great that. time for everybody yeah. that's, you know, looking for that, what am I going to do with my time? I want to do something with meaning, something I care about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, if if we don't get enough volunteers to do it, then you know we'll we'll put another push on in another six months. But of course, all of this localization and and weaning ourselves off of fossil fuels and stuff, it's all going to be in vain if we don't sort of find ways of fixing the climate crisis mm -hmm. that we're in right now. It's so urgent, mm -hmm. and this is a fantastic way to deal with that. If you look at Project Drawdown, Paul Hawkins. Um, group and website they've looked at tons and tons of solutions they've grouped them all and ranked them and in the, in the top 100 solutions to to climate chaos land use and agriculture if you combine them they are the top the top thing that we can do and the beauty of it is they're also the most accessible there's land all around us we all eat it's something we can't get away from so here's a sector where there's there's opportunity wide open to us and like i was saying the soil and the life in the soil and the plants photosynthesizing they suck the carbon out of the air yeah. it's wacko you go and knock on a tree it's really solid but it's made of air <laughs> it's like, oh, come on yeah. well, that's when you start getting into looking at microscopes and seeing that there's you know more space between particles well than yeah, particles yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah one of those uh, one yeah. of those little tricks well, i think it's yeah. a lovely saying you had scott it says the climate crisis is not an elective subject participation is not optional it's not no and uh yeah while we have a diverse farming system even if we get up and running if that climate runs out of control we just yeah, we're going to have a lot of trouble producing our food. So mm -hmm. if we can get into this now, the sooner we get this up and running, the better it's going to be. Um, yeah. And so in, 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 the, in a whole two minutes, is there anything that you would like to um, quickly add that maybe I haven't covered, something that you felt um, was really important to share with our listeners about the project or you think we've given it a good, a good going over here? Yeah, look, we have given it a good going over. I would, I would really... Yeah, look, we, we just need the people. If this has inspired you and, and you like the idea, don't be daunted by the complexity or anything of it. If you think this is complex, you should see the bloody organisational model of a multinational company whose <laughs> each structure in every different country is specifically designed to avoid paying tax and helping the people where it's operating. So it's the opposite of, of a holacracy. Yeah, that's right. And it's it's um, that's what we're up against. But we need to... Yeah, yeah, we need to design things from scratch to to promote community, to promote people's health, to promote the health of the earth, and this is one way to one way to do that. 
and uh, yeah, solve the okay. climate crisis in the same time. So yeah. Well, fantastic. And just to remind everybody, we're still looking for a name uh, for uh, the coffee yes. um, co-op. So so far, it's coffee C O F E co-op or farm art is mm-hmm. the other one so, so community owned farming enterprise co-op yeah. which is a bit of a mouthful yeah. well coffee's a good one it's catchy right? it is it but is. you know if you've had a, um, a brainwave while listening to us and you know, yes. you'd like to share some um, ideas please either email them to info at cocambra.org.au or go to our Behind the Lines 2XX Facebook page and post something there for that's us that's right and you can at. get in touch with us that way too so that's fine. Okay. Well, thanks, Scotty. That was a really informative interview, and I learned a lot today. So okay, hopefully we can uh, get touch base on this when you've got it up and running and maybe do a, a follow-up interview. Yeah, See how you guys yeah. are doing with the project yeah. in, you know, maybe six months' time or something. That'd be good. So, yeah, look forward to hearing from you out there. <laughs> we'll see you later. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au. That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U. Or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.